Hello one and all and welcome to the podcast The Bulls are googly at the traditional interview format 52 sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos The UK's largest operators with You guessed it, 52 venues nationwide And online at GrosvenorCasinos.com And in my hand I have a deck of playing cards But alongside the usual numbers and pictures Each one has a different question on it And the ones we select over the next half an hour Will form the basis of my chat With a sports person Who I shall now introduce in 50 two seconds. Graeme Swan is living proof that there's no such thing as an overnight success story. There were seven years between his England debut and his next appearance and once he got in there was no getting him out as he quickly became a national hero. His place in cricket was confirmed if it needed to be when he took the very last wicket of the 2009 Ashes to send the Barmy Army and fans across England on the cloud nine. Before long, he'd rank as the world's number one spin bowler. He'd have a 2020 World Cup winner's medal and another victorious Ashes tour, this time down under in the bag. He loves the Eurovision. That's great news. So do I. He's a mad music fan. That's even better news, because so am I. He loves James Bond. Bingo. In fact, he's in a band. So hopefully today, I'm the Dr. Comfort to his lurid revelations. Graeme Swan, welcome to 52. That was impressive. <laughs> Very well done. Yeah, it only takes me about three hours to get it the time. <laughs> Here we go. Are we ready to shuffle up? Ready to go. Should I be nervous? Yes. Well, I'm not, so that bodes well. <laughs> Do you know what? You're probably, and I mean this in a nice way, and we have boxers like Tony Bellew and footballers. You're probably the most confidence-stroke cocky <laughs> guest of all 12. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'll take that as a, yeah. a massive backhanded compliment. So you should. Right. Here we go. Okay, I'm ready for it. Straight in. Pick a card, any card. I'm going Green. straight from the top. Straight from the top. No one's done that yet. It's the Four of Spades. And who is your non-famous hero? Ooh. So you can't have anybody who's yeah. in the public eye. Well, th- this is actually fairly easy for me. I was just thinking whether he was famous or not, but he's not. He was the head of cricket or, you know, the cricket master at Oundle School. I didn't go to Oundle School. It's called John Wake. And I know him because he was my dad's mate. He's from the Northeast. They were the only two Geordies who ended up in Northampton, I think. Both teachers. <laughs> he looks like one of the Scousers from Harry Enfield's TV show. You know, hey, hey, hey. We didn't call final. You know that. Um, but he was, he was the off-spin bowler. He's no-nonsense Geordie. And he was the best coach I ever had. From a young age growing up, he, was, you know, he played minor counties cricket. Probably good enough, well, easily good enough to play professional cricket. Uh, but he was a teacher. And my father was exactly the same, easily good enough to play professionally, but could not afford to do it at the time, believe it or not. So how old were you when when he was your coach? He was never actually my coach. I'd have been six or seven. I'd watch him bowl every week and he'd just give me little tips, Tips. little hints. And one of the best things he ever told me, he went to Australia as a kid and one of the Aussies turned around saying, what are you bowling like that for, mate? You'll never take a wicket. You need to change your line. Bowl at the off stump, not the leg stump, which was what English spinners did. That was virtually all he ever said to me. And he gave me little hints and tips that I always took on board as a very impressionable young kid. And he is my non-famous hero. Is what makes a good coach, in inverted commas, because you want to fish your coach, is it positive reinforcement? Is it insight? Is it graphs and charts? Because there's definitely a wrangle and a battle these days between old school and new science. See, I think it's difficult within a team because some people definitely need the, the numbers, the stats, the graphs. I definitely didn't need that. I'd get blinded by it, I'd switch off. That's why I didn't listen in school very much. I was staring out of the window. Mm. Um, it was all, uh, someone who's just in tune with you mentally, mm. Mushy, uh, Mushtaq Ahmed, when I played for England, he was my bowling coach. And I don't think he ever did anything technical with me. He'd just talk about cricket. If I was ever moaning or complaining, he'd go, 
Mr. Swanee, why? You have a beautiful wife. Sun will come out tomorrow. Who cares, man? I just put everything in perspective and it would always relax me and help me perform. Yeah. These accents are amazing. You've done three already. So I, I've got to, even though it's not a card picked out, I know it's not in the deck because I wrote the questions. Do you do impressions? Like, are you? I do a few. Who, who's like the one famous person that you can do? Um, probably David Lloyd, the cricket oh, commentator. Okay, hold on. We'll do it now. Let's just pretend the card. Okay. You can give an answer. Are you ready? It's 52 with David Lloyd. And your card is, what's the greatest gift your career has given you, David? Well, I suppose it was in Australia, 2010-11, you know, it, it was just a chance to come out with the best joke of all time on here. You know, it was Boxing Day at Melbourne, 97,000 people. And, and England bowled Australia out for 98 and then 160 for none at the end of playing. All the Aussies had gone home. I said, look, it's fancy dress day here at the MCG. 75,000 Aussies have come as empty seats. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, you see, this is where I have to be disciplined because we have to do it. It's got to be the cards or it just becomes yeah. a normal interview. Right, are you ready? I'm going to riffle, say stop. Stop. You've already got a four of spades. We're going to follow it up with an eight of hearts. If you can make a pair or more in your five cards, Grosvenor Casinos will give £1,000 to the Carers Trust. Love so it. that's what we're looking for here. Oh, what is the worst sport on the planet? Um, I, I really don't want to upset many people, but I'm going to, obviously. Athletics, for me. I was rubbish at it. Every sport I ever tried as a kid, I was good at, and I loved it. Athletics, I was not a very fast runner. I did not enjoy it. I love watching it now. I love watching middle distance and, weirdly, shot put and stuff like that. Maybe because they're throwing, but honestly, I, as a kid, my dad watches everything. You go around his house, he'll have the... What's that skiing where they go cross-country and then get Moguls. the gun off their chest? Gun oh, the a yeah, He watches that religiously. But I cannot stand anything like that. So athletics growing up, I used to bunk off on sports day. Me and my brother would go and play tennis at the leisure centre. Weirdly, the only sports day I ever didn't manage to bunk off, I won the high jump. No way. I was probably about 14. <laughs> I could, a, I could flop. I that, could flop. I don't that, know how. That's a shameful answer. You, I hope you don't mind me saying that because for any sportsman to pick track and field, it's a shameful answer because it's literally the basis of everything. I know. It's the first thing that ever happened. It is our evolution. I know. We stood upright and we ran. Is it, it right? was one of those we, threw, <laughs> we, we killed our food and that is the javelin, right? We, we lifted boulders right through to we, we didn't have any transport and it would be how fast can you get to that place? Yeah. And you've literally, you not just belittled the sport, Graham Swan, you've belittled evolution. Okay. In I, my opinion here. I'll take it. I'm taking that. It's, it's a disastrous answer. But you did highlight the middle distance, which I'm happy about. Because that is the greatest for me. Of, yeah. I love athletics. My only saving grace now is that I enjoy it now. As yes. a, but as a kid growing up, I, it was, I was good at everything I tried apart from that. And so therefore, it was awful. Do you know what I love about athletics? Is, right, so that's why the 800 metres to me is everything. And the 1500 to a certain extent. You're so super fit. I can get the 100 metres. Yeah. I can get that process for a Usain Bolt, for whoever, for Limford Christie. You come out of the blocks, you get into your stride, you get into your pattern, you stay loose and boom, right? Yeah. The marathon, and I'm not taking away from marathon runners, huge endurance, but it's about going through a brick wall. Yes. And it's about finding energy you didn't know you had. 800 metres. Imagine being super fit, which you won't be able to because you're a spin bowler, but imagine <laughs> being right, super fit, right? Yeah. And having to have no energy left in your body after 800 metres. Not 790, you're losing. Yeah. And not 810, because you won't run fast enough. Imagine being super fit and just Peaking doing two it, laps of the track and needing to get to that line with not an ounce left. 
it blows my mind. I am just, my heart bursts even yeah. just saying that. Well, as a kid, I wish I'd known that because yeah. you, you, always for me, the Olympics came on, obviously watched the Olympics. One of my earliest athletics memories was Ben Johnson, mm. you know, breaking the world at 9.73 or 9.83, whatever, massive world record, huge steroid cheat. And the, the, that was the biggest news in the world, wasn't it? That yeah. was huge. And then Linford Christie winning at the Olympics, but for me, Usain Bolt changed it a bit. I wish he'd been around when I was a kid yes. because he was an absolute showman. Yeah. And I grew up, uh, my dad used to love you know, the Co and the Cram uh, and the Ovet, uh, those races. But they, they were English. They were typically English. They were great runners. There was a fierce rivalry, but they were very English, very straight-laced. Yes. Usain Bolt, first one, you know, winking at the camera, giving the, you know, the, the little kid on the blocks holding his T-shirt, giving him a high five before the Olympic final. That would have changed everything for me. Yeah. Plus the fact that his 200 meters, I, everyone likes the 100 meters. I argue that the 200 meters is a better spectacle, it's when, a, yeah. especially when Usain Bolt was running it. Because when he came off that bend and he's leaning at about 40 degrees, it's crazy. And then the stride and everything. And he, what did he break 18 seconds? Was it I mean, whatever? He, no, he no, ran I don't it. think he broke 18. We'll he's have a like broke 19. No, he's, I mean, he's we'll just, get the time. He's just the quickest. Makes it sound like we've got a huge production staff. Just say to my mate Charlie, is it 19 2? 19.19, I mean, watching that, that yeah. is just, that's incredible. Yeah. You make a really good point. Generations that just lost faith in it. Cheat yeah. after cheat after cheat. So maybe I was lucky, <laughs> you know, to stay with it because I just did blind faith is what I had. Right, really good answer. I wouldn't answer that question because you'd leave your seat if I told you my answer to Cricket. that question. <laughs> I understand it and I'd love to get into it. I just can't. I only got into it because my dad and brother did. I sometimes wish they played golf. <laughs> Okay, two questions at random so far, but now it's time for the stacked deck. Now, just before I reveal this, 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos, the UK's largest operators with 52 venues nationwide and online at grosvenorcasinos.com. And this card, Graham, is good news. It's the four of diamonds. We've got the grand for the Cares Trust. Well done, Yes, you. we've done Perfect. it. Perfect. And I picked this question out because... A friend of mine adores you and played cricket with you. I must say that first, he adores you. But he did say, he said, you're 90% confidence, 10% cockiness. And that's what took him all the way to the top. I love that quote. So a little bit of introspection. What's your biggest regret? Uh, that's a very easy one for me because I knew when I was stuffed, when it should be the end. And I've, I was always a massive glasses half full. Everything will be all right on the night. And it served me very well. Not all my career, but certainly the, the England part of my career. After the uh, Ashes in England, 2013, I'd just become um, the leading wicket-taker in that series that I was desperate to do during the series. We were at the Oval. Um, I had a very bad elbow that I'd had operated on at the start of that summer, and I knew that summer that it was cooked. Two or three balls and over, I couldn't feel my fingers, and I was getting away with it. I bowled probably the best I've ever bowled against New Zealand, and yet it was the first time I had doubts creeping into my head. I wasn't 100% sure that I knew where the ball was going. The last test, I, I took this wicket. I was leading wicket taker. We went out to bat. Alistair Cook was batting. I was in the gym watching him on the screen doing these tricep dips with a, with a weight. It was obviously a huge 50 kilograms or something, mm. 15. And <laughs> I heard a massive like, bang on the floor, looked around, think, what the hell is that? And it was the weight. It had gone out of my hand and I hadn't realised. And I just thought, oh, what am I doing here? Six weeks later, we're going to Australia. And rather than just say, I need something drastically done here. I thought, it'll be fine. I'm tired. And so I went to Australia thinking, it will be fine six weeks later. And it wasn't. It was worse. And I just thought, it'll be fine. Bluff your way through it. 
and that's the biggest regret. I shouldn't have done that. What year was that? This is uh, well, 2013. Okay. It, it was. You know, it was six weeks before I had to retire. Do you regret it because you became an individual in a team? Do you regret that somebody else didn't get the ball those deliveries who would have done a better job? Or do you regret it because you always said, I'll know when enough is enough? Well, a bit of both, actually. Someone could have done a better job, although I was still doing a better job than anyone else could at that point, but knew that time was running out. I regret it because it was just... Yeah, I knew, deep inside me, I knew, and I pushed it too far. It was that one hand too far at a poker table. It was, you know, one more lap in the swimming pool and you, you make it halfway. It was just, I knew it and I talked myself out of it and I always trusted my gut feeling. So my biggest regret is going in the first place. Mm. And to be honest, I massively underestimated Australia because I thought they're not a good team at the minute. We will go out there and win. I want the big send-off at Sydney that Paul Collingwood had on the last tour, you know, fielding in front of the Barmy Army, I, in my mind, that was perfect for me. But it became very apparent. And so then it was all the feelings of I've let my team down because I now can't play, you know, mm. perform. I've let my mate down because Alistair Cook was my captain. All sorts of nonsense was going on within the team because of certain individuals. And mm. I just thought, I'm, I'm in a no-win situation. And, and also, my wife and kids were there. Yeah. And I dropped my my newborn baby like she fell out of my arms luckily onto a couch in case you know child social services are listening she's fine she walks in circles but she's great um it was just like <laughs> this is and it's my wife my wife basically said and she never told me to do she anything said, come on but she said this is stupid now yeah you're not yourself now because you know you're, you're lying to yourself yeah come on think about it and having to actually face up to that and go oh man it's a, it, the boyhood dream is over yeah and i was living the absolute dream the roy of the rovers in the cricket in terms that is true about you. That is true. A lot of people in football will say, from the age of four, I wanted to play for Man United, and I did. But you're one of the few cricketers who have ever read the story that said, as soon as I could walk, I wanted to win the Ashes with England. Yeah, that was basically That's it. amazing, right? I, I grew up in a family that was like that. It was all cricket, yeah. and it was all England-Australia. I've always said it. I've always been very honest. Every other game I ever played for England, it's huge, it's massive, didn't feel anything like that England-Australia game. I have a different take on your career. I would say that you actually gave up quite soon after you realised. But just by your standards, your biggest regret, I could probably find 10 England cricketers now from the last decade who stayed a lot longer than they should have. And yeah. I could definitely find a thousand football Premier League footballers since it started that absolutely went years over. Yeah. So, you know, for the money, for whatever. It's just so, clinging. I think it's more than cling cling clinging on to the You didn't cling that long. You cling for yeah. months, right? Yeah. You didn't cling for years. Yeah. But I wasn't forceful enough with myself either because before the first test in Australia on that tour, I knew I was yeah. I was really worried. First time I've ever been worried about my fitness. And I said to Alistair Cook, I, I need to play at Perth in the warm-up game. Mm. I really need to play because I didn't bowl very well here last time, which was a lie. It was rubbish. I was trying to hide it, hide it from myself. What I was really thinking is, I need to see whether I can get through a four-day game. Yeah. And they said, no, we're, we're going to play all the fast bowlers as like a bowler for the test team. Yeah. And I just went, oh, yeah, okay. Rather than, I mean, Cook is my mate. If I'd have been completely up front and said, look, I'm screwed here. I, I, need, need, I need this. And, and if it doesn't go well, I'm done. Yeah. And I wish I'd done that. But well, it all went back to that one point. But having said that, I know full well, knowing myself, I would never, ever make a different decision in that 
yeah. than say, no, I'm going. Yeah. It will be all right in the night. Well, it's only halfway through, so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, which incidentally, you did round about that period of, <laughs> of time. <laughs> right, I've shuffled again. You saw okay. me doing that. I said, well, you accuse me of cheating. Have a look. Yeah, I've got to cut the You're a very good shuffler, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good thing. That is, that is my absolute Achilles heel in life. <laughs> Top or bottom? Uh, bottom, please. You're going to go with bottom. You've got the six of clubs. After that, what's your biggest regret? You'll be really pleased with this. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is easy for me. Sausage, beans and chips. What is it about spin bowlers that makes them so <laughs> unhealthy? Worn with his chips. Yeah. You know, like... And pizza. He loves his pizza Toffers well. with his pack of 20. Right? And I, I don't want to... Like, I'm sure you're a lot healthier now than you were back then. <laughs> oh, but no. most spin bowlers who got the number one in the world like to drink and like to smoke. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Worn, toughers, you. What it is with me, I don't believe in denying yourself anything that you genuinely enjoy. And there is moderation. I don't always stick to moderation. Right. But with me, I know I've got a point where I'll say, hang on, that's too far now. And I know I'm happy with that and I can cut off so far. I say <laughs> with my, you know, with my psychologist just over my left shoulder. <laughs> um, and so that, that is just, growing up, it's, it's a family memory. Um, on a Wednesday, my dad was a teacher at the school that me and my brother went to, so we'd get in the car and we'd drive to a golf club, Delapri Golf Complex in Northampton. My mum would come from the other direction where she was a teacher, and we'd have a family meal in the golf club upstairs, and I'd have sausage, beans and chips. Every time. Every single time. Yes. And I'm a creature of habit, and I can still smell that place when, when I think about it. And having children recently, obviously when you're playing professional sport... You can't just dive into that. That's a once a month meal if, mm. you know, if you're being sensible, which I generally was fairly sensible when I played. But as soon as I had kids and, you know, that 4.30 p.m., it's tea time for kids. Yeah. And what do you want for tea, kids? Sausage, beans and chips. And you're cooking. Well, I'm definitely having some here. Yes. And so always put too much in. I'll finish it off. And so that family memory being with my you know, family growing up, my brother, mum and dad, it was a very happy family. I've now got it with my kids and wife. Uh, my wife, I must say, does not join me in a social piece of chip. She's there with the quinoa salad or kale oh, okay. or something. She's very healthy, looks after herself, she, shakes her head at me, much like you did. What are we thinking about the wife right now? You know, she made you give up plus point. <laughs> she doesn't need so I don't know whether I like her yet. She's awesome. Some you things you tell like me her. about her I like, and then other things I'm not sure. So you would we'll like see. It. She sits there shaking her head, going, yeah. how do you get away with it? Stuffing yeah. that rubbish in your body. You know, on one hand, saved your daughter's life. <laughs> other hand, quinoa salad. Swings and yeah. roundabouts this. I'll never, I'll never get quinoa. <laughs> you know, the best thing about quinoa is most of the England cricket team thought it was pronounced quinoa for yes. a long time. <laughs> what am I going to go Not from like there? Tim Bresnan, who thought a chamois leather was a chamoyous leather. Oh, no. I said it to the, to, we were talking to the muse, the band muse, <sighs> and for some reason on about car wash, and he went, do you use one of them chamois leathers? Oh, no. To which Jimmy turned around, what was that? What was that, Bresnan? Say that again. Why, you know, why are you talking to muse? A chamois leather. How did muse end up with the they were, they were in Perth, and they invited us all to their gig that Amazing. Night. Playing for England is weird. It opens doors you never, ever thought would open. They love their poker as well, those boys. I used to talk to them mainly about that. Amazing live. What else has it got you to? Got you to see Muse? You played on stage with Keane? With Keane, yeah. I took one of the best things that ever happened. It was in Manchester. I came to do a Radio 5 Live. Um, I can't even remember the show. And I sat next to Tim Burgess from the Charlatans. Yes. Me growing up, the Charlatans were... Everyone was Oasis. I was a massive yeah. Oasis fan. But I liked indie guitar music more than I liked Oasis. And because the Charlatans weren't that popular in Northampton where I was, because it was very, it was not an educated place when it came to music, 
I was, you know, I was so, so into the charlatans, it was ridiculous. And his poster was on the wall. And, you know, I got to sit there next to him, talking to him. And when they played in Nottingham a couple of years later, he texted me. Mm-hmm. I got a text from Tim Burgess saying, look, we're playing tonight. Um, do you want to come along? Um, see you there. And I, I sent a text back with a, a few lyrics from Telling Stories. I can't wait. And he went, oh, Telling Stories. Yeah. So that night when I'm there with my brother and my mates, he went, this next one's Telling Stories for Swanee. Yes. And honestly, I felt like an absolute child at Christmas. It was just, I was trying to sprint through the marsh pit, get to the front. I suppose you're a North Country boy. I'd say just when you're thinking things over, best song by the Charlins ever. I love that song so much. The slightly older, yeah. just before they became huge. Yeah. It's just amazing. I but must, have, I a lot of those have seen them live probably 15 times and the fact that they always finish with Sprost and Green yeah. and the whole place goes absolutely mad. And you, it, just something about being with like-minded people. Yeah. It's like the Mannix playing Motown Junk. It's the same thing. It's brilliant. Oh, right, we've got to get back on track because Sorry. I'm not allowed to do that. Sorry. So there you go. If you can eat one meal, sausage, beans and chips, red sauce or brown sauce. Red, that, red with sausages, brown with bacon. But how do you do the beans? The beans needs brown sauce. No, the, you... you, you Divide the chips are your divider. It's an Alan Partridge. Yeah. You use the sausage as Ch- a break. Chips are your divider. <laughs> HP or daddy's. The sausage is a break. What do they call the break, break water? water yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, there's an art uh, to eating it. <laughs> quick shuffle. Once again, very impressive. Cut the deck. Last card. That's you. Do you want? No, just turn no, over sorry. and I'll okay. let you read it. What did you get first of all? What's the? I got the Ace of Hearts. Oh, okay, there you go. You got, you got your pair so early. The pressure was off. Um, who or what is your one true love? Oh. There's obviously a PC comment to this. Hello, Sarah, my darling, my wife. But, you've, is but, it Sarah? Sarah. If you're listening, Sarah, you've ruined this interview. <laughs> right? It was meant to be about Graham Swan. No, we I'm... haven't even talked about the 2009 Ashes. <laughs> we haven't talked about the 2020 World Cup because okay. you're salads. I'll tell you what, well segued, because I will. I'll say it's the Ashes trophy. Yes. And I'll, and I'll give you the reason why. As a kid growing up, as we've already said, all I wanted to do was play in the Ashes. I had this vision in my head that one day I would get Alan Border out at Sydney to win the Ashes. I, I didn't put two and two together. He'd be 65 by the time you know, I was on. <laughs> I wasn't particularly bright. Um, but all I wanted to there was something about that trophy, the way it was sort of mocked and pilloried by other sports, this tiny little trophy. But the fact that it, it was there and it's a wonky trophy with a wonky little sign on, it's got historical sort of writing on it. It's everything. And... 2009, I'm playing in my first Ashes. We're at the Oval, and I bowled all day. Yeah. We finished at 6 p.m. I mean, it was that famous day that Andrew Flintoff ran out Ricky Ponting, his final hurrah for England, and it was incredible. So we finished. It's a balmy evening. The sun's absolutely beaten down. 25,000 Cockneys on their feet, most in Man United shirts. And um, we do a lap of the ground. So, you know, they've got a huge flag out at St. George's Cross on the outfield. They're playing over the Tannoy, <laughs> Jerusalem, Land of Hope and Glory, Rule Britannia. It was like a Brexit party, this was. They were even playing, <laughs> even, even playing a couple of songs for the, heart, you know, the five South Africans in our team. It was awesome. But as we, <laughs> as we walked around the ground, my family were up in the stands and everything. I thought, this is perfect. This is the Royal the Rovers dream. Yes. I'm going to get to actually get my mitts on that trophy. So you'll get up on the, you know, on the fake little plinth or whatever it's called, and you're waiting for the trophy. And Andrew Strauss, I shoehorned my way in next to him. And as he picked up this famous trophy, I looked up in reverence, stood next to him. And on the bottom, it had Lord Shop, £4.95. No! It was a, it was a replica. No! It nearly, honestly, so this picture, everyone's going balmy, and I'm, I've got this crestfallen look on my face. Did you, was the, the original they, they, they ever? Don't, they don't get the original out. It right. stays in the Lord's Museum. Right. I was absolutely... Because the story is, I'm just going to say it, right? Because yeah. we're in the podcast world now. The story is that David Geyer, I think, took it to meet 
like the Archbishop of Canterbury or the, the what's the, the church right beside Westminster, Westminster Abbey. There you go, yeah. Brought it to see someone like that and it broke it, right? <laughs> and, and do you remember when they brought it down under? Yeah. The story goes that they had to scan it and it was the first time anyone got to see an X-ray of the trophy and there's a crack down the middle of it. Oh, no. That's so, the story. So it never comes back out. That's right? probably why. I could understand why it doesn't come out, to be honest, but I was absolutely broken. I just thought this is perfect. You think, like, imagine winning the Football World Cup and, like, the Jules Verne goes up in the air and it's not got, it's not got the teeth mark from pickles in it or anything like that. Said in the bottom of it, yeah. JJB's. Yeah. Yeah. Sports 12. Direct. <laughs> Twelve yeah. ninety nine. Oh, it would be cheaper than that. It's interesting because that's the absolute opposite of every single other sports story, which is the medals don't count, the trophy doesn't count, it's the memory the winning. Yeah. And that's true, except for this wonderful little mythical thing that you thought you'd get your hands but on. But it's amazing because I remember walking around, because obviously you don't think of it all day. We'd set Australia 500 to win or something. There was yeah. no way in the world that they were going to win. But Mike Hussey and Ricky Ponting both got hundreds. And it was you start to believe the impossible is going to happen. We're going to go down in history as a team who blew the yes. chance to win the Ashes. And then Andrew Flintoff did that amazing run out. Then it all went our way. I got... Mike Hussey out to win. Actually, that's a story in that. Mike Hussey was a good mate of mine because we played together at Northampton. Before that Ashes, yeah. I'd spoken to him on the phone. and went, mate, I had a dream last night that I hit you for four through the covers at the Oval to win the Ashes for <sighs> Australia. And I went, that's rubbish, mate. I get you caught short leg to win for England. <laughs> <sighs> and I got him caught at short leg to win the Ashes for England. It's just... It was that's the Rory the Rovers bet, right? Yeah. And it happened twice. Yeah. So England win, I think, 2-1. Yeah. yeah. 2-1, two drawn tests, win 2-1, yeah. goes the last test. But you took the win wicket in both. So Clark to go one up and that moment, that wonderful yeah. moment at the Oval. Like, so that's the bit you dreamt of, yeah. right? It did actually come through that it, bit, it, it, taking it was, the last yeah. wicket. And it was bonkers, but that happened. And this all starts sinking in. You know when people say it hasn't sunk in yet? Yeah. Things like that don't. You've won it. And I, you know, the things I remember about that is waking up in my in my whites the next day with my spikes still on. Yes. And, you know, I mean, with an unholy smell in the room, it was ridiculous, but not caring. Just think, this is brilliant. Yeah. And then it sinks in. Hang on, I got her set. I, you remember that conversation? That was when it really sunk in for me about that trophy. Because yeah. at the time I was crestfallen, and went, ah, oh, sorry, it's all right. Is that your ultimate Ashes memory? As you say, you know, like, what's your one true love? That Ashes. Because it happened again. Yeah. In Australia, but is it because they were so? Like, my memory is someone who's not a cricket fan was they were on their knees. Yeah, you know, like Ponting broke his finger. They were down to thirteen. They were getting a lot of stick from yeah. their own media, and, and the fans. Their fans are like the the boxing fans in Rocky Four. Right. We'll start off going Drago, Drago. As soon as Rocky starts doing Rocky, Rocky, <laughs> they turn on him. It was brilliant. So does that not? Because that is monumental to go down under yeah. and win an Ashes series three one. Yeah. Well, that was an but, incredible. From a cricketing sense, that was a much better victory for yeah. England. And ah, uh, but individual. Individually, the, my biggest memory from that trip, other than that Boxing Day that David Lloyd spoke about earlier, yeah. Um, when it, that's my favourite day's play for England. I bowled two overs, no wickets, took a catch, but it's still my favourite day because yeah. of what happened. Yeah. At the end of that Sydney test, we all went out as a team and sat on the outfield and just had some beers and talked about right. what had just happened. And Alistair Cook was on my right-hand side, and he started it. said, look, guys, can I just have a minute? My favourite part of this whole tour, I think he said when Collie came out with that sprinkler dance in that nightclub in Adelaide. And it went you know, anti-clockwise. So I was last, and everyone was saying oh. this, bits, bits, bits. And I was thinking, what am I going to say? I've got nothing. They're all using the good bits up here. And it got around to me. My wife had just had to go home because she was 32 weeks pregnant. And if 
you know, she couldn't get on this flight. I'd have a baby born in Australia. That wasn't happening. Was this a baby you dropped? And then this, no, this is this is my first born. Right. Okay. So I, we knew it was going to be a boy. <laughs> I wanted him to have three initials so we could captain England at cricket one day. Yeah. Which is stupid, I know, but that was that was just how it was. And we had this first two names: Wilfred after my granddad, uh, Richard after Sarah's, and then we had a blank. We didn't have a name, so sat there. And it, honestly, it was like an epiphany, like a light bulb moment. It got to me. I went, you know what? This has been the best tour ever. We've just smashed Australia in their backyard. First time in 24 years. I've been looking for a name for Wilf to fill this blank. It's going to be Sydney. So he's now Wilfred Richard, oh, Sydney Swan. Oh, that's amazing. So that, I mean, from a cricketing point of view, yeah, amazing. But I'm very selfish. Look back and go, no, it was all about my kid. <laughs> no, I One love day that. he will captain England at Sydney. He's a, he's a hell of a bowler. Your <laughs> best moment was when they were telling about the best moments. I love that. I don't think there's anything in that that isn't selfless. That's a great story. And now you think we come to the end because the five cards are out there, but you've yeah. still got to face the wild card. Any question that I want to ask you, okay. I can ask you, and there's only one. People out there are going to want to know about the Pakistan fixing, the, yeah. the no balls, yeah, Salman yeah. Bart. They're going to want to know about that comment Nasser Hussain made, if you're the future of England bowling, we're all. They're definitely going to want you to talk about winning the 2020 um, yeah. World Cup. So I'll I feel however coming on look there. at all of those, <laughs> and as my wild card question, I'm going to go, What's your favourite Eurovision song ever? Oh. oh my God, I love the Eurovision so much. <laughs> Swanee, I love it. I d- it is amazing. I love it. I once was hosting an end of season awards for Chester Football Club and only agreed to turn up if I could have it on the table in an iPad. Yeah. I once stopped the journey from <laughs> Glasgow to London and stayed in a hotel in Manchester just so I didn't miss it. It's cancelled this year. Good. It needed to be. Yeah. But roll on 2020. I love the. F- I was looking the rules up. You can't have the same songs. Really? No, so, you can't have the same songs here. But it, they can re-enter. I tell you what, for me this year, I mean, I, I love everything about it. My my mum and dad, they're very northern. My dad's a Geordie, my mum's from Warrington, and they would just laugh at the absurdity oh, of it. So I mean, it's the best worst year, thing ever. Every year, I mean, and, and they'd be absolutely disparaging about every song in, apart from Britain's. Like, oh, this is a canny song. This this has got to win. Oh, but <laughs> them French won't vote for us. You watch. I bet we get one point from Germany. They don't forget and all this. But just, but I used to love the fact that you know. Ukraine uh, would give 10 points to Estonia and, you know, France and Spain would become allies and Portugal and Spain were like best buddies ever, even if the songs were terrible. And then with the Terry Wogan commentary, and I love the story about Terry Wogan that he used to drink a, a bottle of Baileys, uh, but he wouldn't start drinking until the ninth song. Yes. And then, <laughs> yes. And, and then Graham Norton does it. And it's genuinely, he does the toast at that genuinely moment. hilarious. I mean, the whole night. He he's might be the only person that, uh, after Terry, he might, I think for me, I was like, please give it to Graham Norton. Yeah. You know, that's the one person I think he does it so, so well. But I love the fact that, I mean, we live in the most crazy PC world ever mm-hmm. now. You can't say anything. You can't be funny at anyone's expense or whatever. But A lot seems, of that's good. But it seems like Eurovision yeah. is, is the night where you can just say, as if you sat with your mates in the pub, Graham Norton can just say, <laughs> well, you know, look at this bloke now. I mean, but, but the whole point of it is, you know, that is the one night. And don't get me wrong, PC is PC and it's great. And there should, be, there should be a certain level of it. But when there's no harm in it, when it's just lighthearted and laughing yeah. at the fact that yeah. the, you know, when... That woman looks like finish, she's wearing a toilet roll cover. But when the, finish, when the finish band come on and, and he's like, oh, yeah. can't wait for a bit of thrash metal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I just, Lordy. I, lo- I just, yeah. I, I adore I've been to Lordy Square, yeah. Lordy Square in Rovaniemi, which is the home of Santa Claus, which is where they're from. Uh, it's yeah. just brilliant. And it's like... Rawr, rawr, rawr. What, do you have it? So... Oh, it favourite site? You'd have to go back way back yes. to like Bucks Fizz or Abba. It'd be. I hate Abba, but yes, I okay. Know, I, yeah, I love Abba, and I, I don't want. Them. I never wanted to, until I had these kids. My first daughter, Charlie, which is the one I nearly dropped. Yeah. She is a huge fan of Mamma Mia. 
Okay. We had a car that had the um, films in the back. Yeah. So I listened to the soundtrack. Non-stop. 20 times before I'd seen the film. And something permeated. Osmosis took place. I'm now a huge ABBA fan. You've been, a, you know, you've been brainwashed. And yeah, some people are conditioned. When they grow up, they can be a little bit sexist. They could be, and we have to get it out of them. And yeah. that's what's happened to you yeah. here. So we need to put you in a room, just play Radiohead for like three hours. Don't worry, I've got an didactic memory, so I know the lyrics to nearly every song I've ever heard. Yes, good, right, good or bad. Right, I yeah. hate this. Why? What, what type of memory is that called? Idactic. Oh my God, it happens to me all the time. I just have to hear it. And this is why I think you hate Abba because they're just so damn catchy. Exactly. Brilliant pop but anything music that's that got a, a hook oh. in it. Oh. And, and growing up, it was always Elton John, Queen, <sighs> David Bowie, or George Michael in our car yeah. all the time. Yeah. Or can he sing us that lot? I was listening to Too Low for Zero on the way over here today What's by Elton John. Well? I just love him so much. Exactly. But uh, I'm going to just throw in Bardo one step further. I played it so much over and over again in 12-inch that my mum woke up one Sunday morning after telling me not to play it and just broke it over her knee and went back to bed. <laughs> so I always remember that. Great tune. But yeah, that's great. Swanee, what a pleasure it's been. Thank this you been so brilliant. much for taking if part. If only every interview were like this. Oh, this is well, awesome. It's a bizarre experience for me as well, definitely. 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos. Thank you very much to Graham Swan. Thank you. Just before we go, that was the last episode of this series of Colin Murray's 52. It has been an extraordinary week. This podcast was meant to happen over six weeks. It was meant to happen in front of audiences. Some of you might have even have been lucky enough to get tickets for them. Most of them had sold out in inverted commas because the tickets were free. And it was one of those things we thought, if we're going to do it, it's going to have to be in four days in empty rooms up and down the country. And uh, we managed to get it done. It's good to have some new content there. And we just, it's an idea we love so much. We just wanted to still make it happen so thanks to fix who's pressed all the buttons set up all the mics and sterilized everything what an absolute legend to andrew who's the man behind the podcast without him and without his help with grosvenor casinos we wouldn't have got it through if that had been forward thinking and we're, we're so flexible uh to charlie copsey who has just been the driving force behind it so thank you to the three of them thank you for downloading it um some original content to listen to at this time is never a bad thing Most importantly, thank you very much for listening. So the casino, for now, is closed. This podcast has been a Cop C production and Grosvenor Casinos is for over 18s only. Photographic ID may be required and please gamble responsibly.